let's just see what happens. If you don't die, maybe you can try it again tomorrow. I suffer from a bit of imposter syndrome. So let's, very let's, let's, let's don't, don't we all? Don't <laughs> we all? We have what eighty something portfolio companies. Like forty of them are over a hundred mil. Wow! In in Val, eight of them are unicorns. NFT Melb. What is good, beautiful people? Welcome back to the NFT Melb podcast, a platform to connect, create, and collaborate with Web three individuals, share their story and really give you an insight as to how people enter the space and specific individuals that have a powerful story. We at the Australian Crypto Convention. I'm here joined alongside the powerful, loud, and infamous James Rowdy. GM, GM. And Miss Ada from Airtree. Ada like Cardano. Like Cardano. <laughs> Be nice and close to the mic, Ada. Oh. We're keen to dive into your story, the passion that you have within the Web3 space. Is beautiful to see. It's continuous that when we go to these events, we see individuals that are power packed with information, and we want to capture that story today. Specifically, your journey into investing and being an investor of massive NFT projects and helping these big brands and founders essentially get money and funding. But beyond that, is the backing that you provide and the support that is provided. Let's dive into first off. What is Airtree? And then we'll go into your journey as well. So starting off, what is what is Airtree for? Now, how would you explain it to everyone at the ACC when you, you've done it probably a hundred times today? I haven't done as much as you would think. Uh, but so Airtree, we're a venture capital fund. Like we try to find like the most brilliant founders in Australia, New Zealand. And we go like, can we give you money? Can we give you support to help basically like rocket your growth um, and get you to do what you do best um, at a much larger scale? So that's like, that's like what we try to do. And then uh, what we also go out to do is really like wrap like all the various other like really cool like founders that we've met so far and be like, hey, how can we create like a, a network for shared learning and like shared um, knowledge? Beautiful. That was extremely concise. That was cool. What, what was your background before you began into this space of Web2 and Web3 investing? What was it like? Were you, were you straight out of uni and jumped into the finance? What was it like for you? I, I wasn't, I didn't initially set out to go into VC. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to do business because like my parents are immigrant, like business people. And I thought, oh, at uni, I'll just do commerce because maybe I can figure out a business that like then has social impact as well. And I think that was the path that I followed down for a really long time. Uh, and then fell into like technology because I was at Microsoft for about almost two years, got really nerdy with like data and AI and solutions architecture. And I was like, oh, wow, like, this really democratizes like solutions for anyone to access. And then um, well, after I did that, went into consulting, came across Alicia. So one of the partners at our firm, like absolute powerhouse female partner who has like such like an eye for, for like the detail. And I think that was when I got really excited by VC. Cause like, oh, like not only do I get to look at entire businesses and what they think the future looks like it's like these incredibly like talented founders who know how to build it as well and then my job as a VC would be to figure out for them like you know how can we help them and I think there's that kind of attitude of service which resonated a lot with me and I think technology as well is just a really interesting space so those coming together made VC a really good spot. I want to dive into the depths of your world Mm -hmm. diving straight through 
what do you think the biggest misconception is about around VCs and how they operate? I think because there are certain countries where it can be quite cutthroat and there's a, there's a, sometimes a lack of intentionality um, in how money gets allocated that it feels quite unemotional or they think VC is just like finance and like we use Mac. So I had like, I went from a world where I was using a PC and doing like really big Excel models to a world where it's a lot about the people. And I think that's a great, a better reflection of what VC is. It's about like building relationships and connections and figuring out how to facilitate resources in a way that gets people to where they want to go. So I think that also a lot of it's like having like coffees and lunches and meeting like amazing people like well, you it's guys. It's about building connection, right? Anyone yeah. that you want to go into business with, you want to like them. Yeah. Anyone that wants to be getting on the podcast, you've got to like them to have them on board to actually understand their world and who they are and what they're about. And that's why we, we do our events and it continuously continuously comes back to that right idea. Mm. It's, it's always been about that. It's going to continue to be about that. When an individual is looking for funding, uh, you guys have your own processes and I'm excited to dive into those today because there are a lot of projects that are looking for funding and are looking to grow or maybe you're an everyday investor and you're just curious as to what's the, what's the story of your project and they've said they got $1 million in funding but what, what does that actually mean? What, what did that look like for them? So for mm-hmm. a founder or a builder that let's say they, they've got their business plan set out in Web3 They've got their, their roadmap that everyone tells them to go through. Team's transparent. They're looking pretty good. What's the next step for them? They're like, you know, we need to get funding. Mm. Do, you, do you poke holes at it? How does that conversation usually go about? We, it's never, the conversation is never to try catch someone out. Like, yeah. I feel like that's the most like destructive way to, to like have a, a meaningful like conversation. Okay. Uh, what we do look for, so a lot of like founders come to us with like a slide deck. Um, or if you're even earlier on, sometimes it's even good to reach out and ask for advice and start to really iterate with people in your networks or like, you know, different VCs on like, you know, this is what my idea is. What do you think? Like, uh, Georgia from humans is one of our startups. She went out, um, to many people before she even had the deck, um, done to really kind of push for feedback and really iterate on that. I think getting challenged is a part of the entire like founder journey and getting comfortable with that really early on is like so valuable. Um, and so like, you know, once you have a deck, once you have your team and your idea, the kind of things that we look for in the deck are things like, you know, you know what, what's your background as a team? Like, why are you solving this problem and why are you going to solve this problem better than anyone else out mm-hmm. there? Um, and so we really want you to have conviction around like, you know, what is your unfair advantage? How are you like, um, the special source to make this work mm. essentially um, and then once we have that you know it's like okay well how big is this problem you know who are you solving this for um, you know how are you bring them to you and then how are you going to expand over time like what it's how are you going to get that like unlock that velocity that makes you a venture scale business like I think one of the things we see we see a lot of like incredible businesses that just aren't quite like the ones that we think will break out into that unicorn status what, what, what is that unicorn status? Unicorn we call when you reach a billion dollars in valuation or higher. I'm sh- there's a story around why it's called unicorn, but I'll have to come back to you on that one. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of trends in the Web3 space, um, you know, from PFP projects now to 
um, all sorts of other meta. I think what's what's a couple of sort of trends that you see um, consistently within uh, people coming for VC funding in terms of like different projects and stuff like that? I think one of the most exciting things about Web3 is that you have a whole new like stack of technologies that are being unlocked and like the capabilities that we know from like Web2 internet have a whole new layer of ownership of um, like the way in which like value and information is stored and transacted and moved around. And so we're seeing it in like all different layers of, of the stack and anywhere from, for instance, with NFTs, people have moved away from maybe the PFPs more into how do we create an interoperable metaverse, for instance. You know, how do we create these rails that wrap like a Web2 experience that people are familiar with so that more and more people can comfortably adopt into it? So that's like one interesting one in that space. Um, in DeFi as well, like if you look at uh, the things that, for instance, Zeta and Portfolio with Mycelium are doing, um, as well as a bunch of, you know, other ones like GMX, like DoIDX, they're all doing mm. some really interesting things on how we transact, how we learn Maple Finance as well. Mm. Like all these like new protocols for helping people like share their wealth and facilitate finance in ways that we haven't known before. Like all of that's been really fascinating as well. And then of course, like communities, right? Mm. Like communities are the heart of um, crypto. It's like how we learn, it's how we like share knowledge, it's how we like connect. Tell us about the world of the VC communities because mm-hmm. they exist and VCs definitely talk amongst each other as they, they need to, right? Mm. Everyone's everyone's trying to make money, especially VCs where um, they're putting in that bet. In, wouldn't call it. It's a calculated, quote unquote, bet, more so calculated risk that they take within projects, mm. and you want to share that risk to make sure you can spread that risk with, through other VCs, other VC friends, and other arms and so forth. What does a network look like in a in a VC? I can speak on the NFT NFT Melbourne network and now network, and it's all across Australia. And we've got our friends in different cities and so forth. What does it look like? Very very similar to that, I think. So I I came into this world maybe four months ago, and like we call it a coopetition because coopetition. Co-op-petition. Yeah, that's a new one. yeah. Break that down. Yeah. So there is. Because the Australian like and New Zealand ecosystem is so small still, right? We have so much room for growth. It's like we all want to work together to invest back into this ecosystem and make it the best it possibly can. Like Australia and New Zealand, we already punch way above our weight in terms of like like we have we are the most capital efficient like um, like countries in the world in terms of like investing in con- like companies that become unicorns, for instance, right? Which says so much about the quality of the founders that we have, and so like. You know, for us, it's that's the co- uh, that's the cooperation part. You know, we all, we're all moving in the same direction, and then you know we all have like like want to shuffle into the best deals, you know, with the best founders, and so that's where the competition part comes in. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we all know each other. Like, there's a I think the best um, way to like to move and groove in this world is to actually build really strong relationships and friendships and connections, and so that underlies everything that we do and what what type of boundaries have to be set so you don't step on each other's toes but even by accident because i'm mm-hmm. sure it happens where you know the project's going to multiple vcs and both have said yes uh, mm-hmm. like who, who who gets the the individuals that go both ways how, what boundaries need to be set i think it's hard to control how other people do but the way that i kind of see it is 
you know, do right by the founder, behave in a way that's like um, honest and open and like transparent and like like communicative so that whoever you work with, whoever you're, you know, like it just it's just a, a matter of whoever you're the best fit for. Right. It's like with relationships, it's like with friendships, like you don't fight to be with someone else's friend. It's like it'll work or it doesn't work. And different people have different like aspects that they're important that are important to them. Like some people may think, hey, I don't actually need your suite of like services. I just want to work with you because like I think you're the person I want to like, you know, be in this long six, seven, ten year like business marriage with. Yeah. Do you think that um <clears throat> relationships are top of mind with VCs or do you think it's more a numbers game? I think for us it's definitely relationships it's the like the growth potential um and the opportunity like like where we have very much not a spray and pray um like philosophy to investing like we have 80 something portfolio companies like 40 of them are over 100 mil wow in in Val Eight of them are unicorns. Like, wow. <laughs> like, we try to be very intentional. Sounds like a magical world you live in with all these unicorns. <laughs> I love unicorns. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> I just want rainbows. <laughs> exactly. I th- I, the reason why I ask, right, because mm. I guess big misconception because, you know, some people see VCs as sharks and stuff like opportunists, whatever you want to call them. But mm. I guess um, why I ask this question is like, like relationships are like you said you've got, you want to have a really strong relationship with someone if you're going to be doing business with them yeah. right because as we've seen in multiple industries that you know if people don't have that right relationship the business fails right so it's it's really really important to have that so that's why I was, I was like has there any been any instances where uh you might have been like hey this company's great uh unicorn status whatever or just re- re- really great company overall but then you're like ah oh, look maybe the founders are just too difficult to work with. Do you think that, has that ever occurred? And you sort of think like, maybe we might have to steer away from that? Yeah, for sure. And I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like, it's not just about who's the best best, right? Mm. It's also about, can we work together? And like, can I be as helpful to you as like I can be? You know, like if you don't Mm. like someone, it's a lot harder to find it and to be helpful than it is, if you like love them and you believe in their like vision, their passion. And I think that some of that comes in as well. Yeah. Cool. Your, your space within Airtree, what is your particular role that you're doing day to day? What does that look like on a day to day basis? Mm-hmm. My, so I am an investment manager. Uh, I think the simpler term is just investor. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I like, I go out, I do events. I like try to share whatever knowledge I can, which is still quite limited, but I'm doing my best. Um, meet founders and basically hear um, their vision and what they what they want to build, what their future looks like. Uh, what that, what I then <laughs> what I then do is I take their story and I, I try to communicate it the best I can to the rest of my investment team. It's like it's like you take you take the words from individuals, store them in your brain, and then paint them on a picture mm-hmm. for your team to see that you know. They will know how to read that picture. Exactly. Hearing so many different stories and so many different visions is what. What's the consistency that you're seeing that most people get wrong? Mm. And I know it's a very tough question because you talk to that many different people. Is it? Is it maybe the the way they're just talking about it? Perhaps they actually do have an incredible product 
an incredible service. It's just they don't know how to articulate. Is that is that a problem? And I want to know from your world what, what that is. It really varies. So there is, I'll, I'll try to kind of talk about some different types of founders and, and where they may have like, you know, um, where they like miss out on like their strengths. So really technical founders, for instance, like they get incredibly excited by like the features and the nuances of what they've created, which is completely understandable, right? Like, you know, it takes effort to build something that's sophisticated. And then sometimes they lose touch of the story. They lose touch of how do you create some like a, a narrative around what you're building, what the future looks like in a way that anyone can understand, you know, regardless of whether they have like a degree in astrophysics or whatever it may be. Um, or in other, like in another, on the other side of it, like you may have people who are incredibly compelling storytellers. And like sometimes what may be lacking is like that depth to really understand how to execute. So it's that whole problem where it's like you have these incredibly big dreamers and then how do you then bring it down to something that's like technically sophisticated and also defensible as well? Like how do you create something that, you know, it's going to be really hard for someone else to replicate in the next couple of years. Um, but then obviously, as you can see, it's trying to do a bit of everything. That's, that's why you have a team, right? That's, yeah. That's why it, the conversation always goes back to when trying to build a project, trying to build anything. Mm -hmm. uh, trying to network is what does your team look like and who exactly. can you bounce ideas truly off and get objective you know results from exactly and then also as well it's like you know have who who in your team has the expertise to help you create a vision that's like genuinely unique and hard to replicate mm. on a more personal personal note your vision mm. you, you worked with airtree for a bit you said you've been four months really heavy in web3 which we'd love to see that, that transition over, right? And I love, love seeing people into the space and be red-pilled because <laughs> you've seen what's available and you're like, oh, there's no going back. Mm. I really like this space. Your personal vision, what are you seeing for yourself? What do you want to do? What, what are your personal ambitions within this Web3 ecosystem? I think this is the first job where I can really see myself staying in long-term. Like I've always been like a very curious person, like, oh, that looks fun. Oh, that job looks fun. And I'll kind of like, I've always been comfortable bouncing around. For this, I think it goes back to being able to, I think technology is incredible in that it unlocks a lot of scale, like whether it be education, like, you know, giving like, you know, millions instead of like a, a couple, like in a classroom of people access to information or like if it's finance and giving like, you know, a greater range of people access to capital so that they can really invest themselves in their lives. I think technology is super exciting. And like for me, I, I see this job as being someone who's trusted to look after people and their ideas and to find the most incredible people to help them deliver the idea better. Would you, would you ever start your own project? Yeah. yeah. I thought about it even, so I was, I was telling you guys earlier about how I do like digital painting, right? Like before, the way I got into NFTs was because I was like thinking about doing something myself, but then I didn't feel like I could maintain enough value to do it. So I ended up not, but I, I've, like, I love the idea of owning and building my own thing. And then being able to shape the culture as well where people feel safe and people feel like they can perform at their highest. That's kind of like in the back of my head. I don't have an idea yet of what that looks like. And You, you, yeah. said, you said, said something pretty key there that mm. you didn't believe that you could provide a continuous value. Where did that answer come from? Was that from a place of you've seen so many projects and you've seen some holes of 
where your idea would go or more so on a personal note you just haven't seen your plan be executed from an artistic point of view i think that like when um nfts you know like with nfts people entrusting you with their money right and I was like, oh, you know, people might like it for my art initially, but, you know, I'd want to do something more than just sharing art because I think my art's, like, okay. It's, like, not that great. Um, and so I was like, okay, what would be what would utility look like? And so I started going down that track and then basically just realised that, like, my core skill sets don't lie in creating something with interesting utility that I can think of yet. Um, and so I was like, okay, it's better for me to leave that until I can do something that's meaningful. So my current idea is to have like to give out my little NFTs for free and have like little dinner series with my friends in the in the ecosystem and just like give them my my little Shiba Inu with a flamethrower. <laughs> Love that. That's cool. Uh, I want to I want to hear about your message through this question and through this frame. And we we spoke mm. to Dan yesterday. And I'm going to ask you the exact same question that I asked him. You're in a room full of 100, I believe yesterday you 75, we'll go 100, 100 individuals of the highest caliber that you deem to be of high quality. Mm-hmm. Your world, your lens, it could be 100 incredible artists. Yeah. It could be 100 of the best VCs in the world. Mm-hmm. 100 of whoever you'd like in the room. Mm-hmm. Two-part question. Number one is what is the message that you're going to send to all of them? What message would you have for those 100 individuals if you had their attention? What is it? I think it would be a question. It would be like, how can I help? Like, <laughs> like what? How can I help and what does your future look like? Like, I, I, I suffer from a bit of imposter syndrome. So very don't we all? (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) So like, oh, this this situation where I'm supposed to tell brilliant people like what they should think. No, how about you tell me what I should think? Yeah. Do you think with the let's just touch base on an imposter syndrome because this Mm. is this is something that we all face, especially a lot of people in Web three, right? It's always constantly talked about. There's some days where you know I meet people or you know just. Daniel and I are like on this journey. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. why are we? Why yeah. does this person want to interact with us? You know, it's just you, you question yourself, and you're like, oh fuck! Like, are we out of our depth here? Like, do we know what we're doing? You know, like, and mm. but then at the same time, it's just like you got to silence that voice, right? And yeah. you've got to really sort of just go, look, I'm, I'm where I need to be at the current given, like, and it's all part of my journey in the process, and. And just surrender to it and go, yeah, that's fine. Like, back yourself, you know? Because if you don't do that, then you'll, you'll always end up in the same place. And you, you'll never push outside those comfort zones and those boundaries. And that's where the growth is on the other side, right? And there's a, there's a temperature that we set that, that we think we're worthy of, right? Mm. Whether that's worth the worthy of temperature financially, we think, you know, we're hanging around people that earn this particular money. Or we're hanging around these, this level of conversation. And then you find yourself, you know, on, a, on an on your journey, on the way out, in, in conversations that you didn't think you'd get into, like, whoa, whoa, okay. And people start asking your opinion. And then you get this all the time, right? Uh, especially at these events where they, they see you, somebody that's connected to VCs, asking you very tough questions and asking you for strong direction. And you sit with that and you're like, 
am I to give somebody the information for where their next step is in their journey? How have you been able to digest that? It's a good question. You you may not have that answer, but... I'm still digesting, Mm, definitely. I think I like... I like to think that I'm a constant learner and that it's okay to be to feel like an imposter. Like my job so much of the time is literally talking to people who know so much more about their problem, their fields than I ever will. Um, and so I try to lean into like, yeah, I don't know anything. Like, you know, I am probably out of my depth. So let's just be curious. Let's just ask questions. And then the other thing I tell myself is like, okay, like, there's like just as you can always learn something from someone else they can always probably learn something from you like it's a two-way um street and so I remind myself of that and I surrender and for me anxiety was like extreme imposter syndrome it was like I was like constantly nervous about having conversations with people I was like the really awkward kid in like like high school that would overthink and like plan conversations in my head because I didn't trust myself to like have a normal conversation. Mm. What was one of those moments? Oh man. Oh, so many. Just so many. <clears throat> so yeah, like it's every so day. Common though, right? yeah. It's so common. Everyone overthinks a lot. And look, I've experienced that too. You're like, you start thinking about comments and then you get annoyed and you go, wait, why am I annoyed? This conversation even hasn't happened. This situation <laughs> hasn't even happened yet. You know, like, and it's just like, wait, what the fuck? And then you realize, you're naked on a beach. We might talk about that. <laughs> no, but back to the story. Back to the story. Um, like I would like there was one incident. Well, actually, it was every day. Right, every day I'd wake up and I'd be like nervous about going to school, and like I would plan all these conversations. Like, all right, if they say this, then I'll say this, and then in a conversation, naturally, someone will say something else that you have not planned for, right? Wait, wait, no, you're yeah. not supposed to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my head, I'd be like, you can't say that. That's not, that's not part of the plan. Anyways, that was, that was like a, a very stressful way of living. And there was one time where I was like, okay, how about you just surrender to whatever might happen today? And like, you know, let's just see what happens. If you don't die, maybe you can try it again tomorrow. And that was kind of the way that I started stepping through that mental barrier and I feel like what I did with that is something I've applied to like every other aspect whether it be like in work whether it be in like social relationships anything Mm. yeah yeah I love that I'd love to pivot the final conversation point on what you're excited about in the space and what you're looking forward to what is it what are you looking forward to most and I'd love for you to touch on any projects that you can see as really good examples within the space I think the thing that I find so exciting about Web3 is like really, I like ownership's been very centralized over the last few years. Like you have like a few people that really take a lot of the value that a lot of, that a lot of people within those ecosystems create. And I think the most, one of the most exciting things about Web3 is the ability to have the individual take greater ownership of what they create, what they do. Um, and then also to have a greater say in their voice of the things that they own. And so, you know, whether it be DAOs and like, you know, really interesting like governance structures that are coming out of that. And also I think what's really exciting down the line is like how reputation comes on chain, right? Like your off, like your offline, uh, off chain and on chain reputation, like the, the person that you become and like how you can start to make really interesting decisions that are empowered by your experiences that your community like enables you to do. I think that's really exciting, like whether it be like maybe in government in the future, which is maybe a bit ambitious, but like the way in which we conduct business and conduct conduct communities, like I think that's really exciting. 
um what else like artists people who like create games like you know this for such a long time we've relied on game studios to to facilitate like people who are like indie game makers right um and with web3 it's exciting because you can be an indie game maker that creates something that's yours and then you can have a community that comes around it and actually helps you fund what you do best so that you can create even more things that people love so i think little examples like that um make me incredibly excited about what web3 can do yeah, I love the idea of utilizing incentives to have the community continuously alongside you, building together and painting a vision. Wrapping up, it's the final five questions. We ask this on every single podcast. You can answer in one sentence or less. Okay. The final five questions. We'll start off with question number one. Ada, if you could summarize your personality in one word, what would it be? Ooh. And I ask that because you meet so many people, so many different people. But I'd love to know how you perceive yourself. A meerkat. <laughs> I just thought of the Lion King straight away. Eh? <laughs> you know the circle of life when the, the little meerkat stands up and they're like super in the shop. That's the answer you came to mind. <laughs> because very curious, very mm. small, get really excited and like jump up at anything that seems really cool uh, and social. If you had one piece of artwork to release as an NFT, what would it be? The, as in one that I've created? Yeah. It would be the, the Shiba Inu holding a flamethrower with the Balking Company <laughs> written on the flamethrower. If you could collaborate with anyone in the Web3 ecosystem, what would it be? Who would it be? This is super cliche, but... I think Naval has a very interesting Ooh, view. I love Naval. Yeah. On things. And I think like he really thinks in first principles. And I think like working with him, you could create something that really like enables something really cool. He's the Mecca. Right? <laughs> he is the Mecca. <laughs> if you had one piece of advice for a founder that's looking for VC funding or wanting to build in the Web3 space, what would it be? I think have a really clear idea of who you want to work with and like what kind of value you want the person that you work with will bring to you um, and be like really sharp on looking for that because I think this is a really it's a lo- it's a long-term relationship it's a and like you want someone who you can partner with as you build your business because shit gets tough like one of the most like inherent things about building a startup is that you know, things will go wrong there will be challenges and things will change and so you want to find someone that really partners with you and is there for you through that Freddie you know what's funny I tell people to answer these questions in one sentence or less uh-huh. they never answer in one <laughs> sentence or less I was, I was just thinking that same thing <laughs> I was like I love the answer too much I'm like man that's powerful yeah did I use more? Last, I last even, did I, oh my god! Did I use more than one sentence? Yeah. <laughs> I use a paragraph. Of each. <laughs> it's an essay. <laughs> poor Shirley, when she transcribes it, she's like, "Man, I'm sorry, Shirley." <laughs> the the final question. In six months from now, what is the one message you want to give to your future version of yourself? Keep going. You're doing good. beautiful it's a it's a a continuous reminder and a continuous reminder for everyone on their journey continue to grow continue to roll up rowdy and i are looking to connect with people every single day 
and we're always open to new opportunities and preparing ourselves to network with absolutely everyone in the space and if that means collaborating on a podcast 100% we'd love to hear from you and love to get you on and support you and show you that value I'm also pointing you to individuals like Ada who kick an ass in Web3 mm. in, in the short term that you have been here because it's only four months but the space moves like this so let's let's continue to grow I appreciate it and these guys are awesome like this is my first podcast and I, I feel a lot more chill than I thought I would oh, that's good <laughs> we're glad but yeah I guess yeah just to wrap up I think it's important for uh, I guess founders to realise that hey you know you don't have to bootleg everything you know swallow your pride in your ego there's resources out there like you know ada at airtree and, and other vc funds that um actually help you scale and build a business on on a larger scale you know going from you might have a, a, an amazing idea and you just don't have the resources to execute and that's where vcs do come in and play an integral part in that scaling and i think that's really really important right so and it goes far deeper than financials exactly right and saying that Peace and love. Let's roll up and team up, connect, create, collaborate. Let's go. Boom. Oh